You may be seated. I want to take a, a second this morning and mention that today, some of you, um, we, we just want to take a brief, a brief moment to invite you that if you are um, a veteran, we just want to have you stand. We want to say thank you. And uh, so if you are a veteran today, would you please stand so we can thank you. I uh, also want to say this morning, um, other than those people, because now I want to feel like they need to deserve some kind of a, award from us, uh, other than them, everybody's invited next Saturday at 9 a.m. to help rake leaves um, here. <laughs> so if you were a veteran, you, you, we're telling you you'd take a pass. But everybody else, next Saturday, 9 a.m. I know it's not in your bulletin, but there are a lot of leaves, and uh, we could use your help next Saturday at 9 a.m. So we hope that maybe you'll think about coming and be a part of that. I also want to mention, I hope you'll think seriously about taking the Next Steps class this coming Wednesday. Please RSVP um, by tomorrow so we can know how many to prepare for, but we'd love for you to be a part of that if you've never been. Uh, today, I, I was just thinking, have you ever had someone in your life who was just kind of a jokester, or a trickster, or whatever language you want to use, you know, the kind of person that would go, oh, give me a high five, and they go, oh, too slow, or the person would say, oh, pull my finger, or wh- whatever it was they told you to do. They're just that person that you never knew whether you could believe them or not. I mean, maybe you had someone like that in your life, someone that they were just, they would tell you all kinds of stories, and you never were sure if the stories were real or not. I mean, they would add to them to the point you're like, there's no way this is true. I don't really believe them. I mean, it's a good story, but it's not true. I mean, my youngest brother, I'm going to say was, because it could be is, but was one of the best liars I've ever met. I hope he's listening to this. He listens sometimes, so I hope he catches this one. I mean, he was really good at lying, like exceptionally good, to the point that sometimes we weren't sure whether to believe him or not believe him. My parents were pretty good at it over time. I mean, you eventually can figure it out. You had to keep asking questions because otherwise you didn't know because they were really good stories. But he would tell his teachers all kinds of stories. He would tell his classmates and his friends and his siblings and his parents and everyone else. And it got to the point where they were so impressive that my dad started saying to him, my dad gave him a nickname. My dad called him Pecos Bill. Like, and if you don't know the story of Pecos Bill, I'm going to tell you the story of Pecos Bill. There was a movie that came out in the mid-90s called Tall Tale, The Unbelievable Adventures of Pecos Bill. We actually liked it in our house. I feel like on Rotten Tomatoes, it didn't get very good reviews, but maybe that's something about our movie taste. But if you haven't heard the story of Pecos Bill, I mean, he was this kind of unbelievable character. You know, he was the one who created a lasso out of a rattlesnake. He could shoot men's trigger fingers off. I mean, he invented fence posts and 10-gallon hats. He wrestled bears and mountain lions as a kid. I mean, he was pretty much an unbelievable story himself. I mean, he rode a tornado. He rode a tornado, and, and by riding that tornado, he... God spoke. No, um... <laughs> or someone leading against the light switch, but... He rode a tornado, and while the tornado was trying to buck him off, it created the Grand Canyon. And he finally fell off in California, and it created Death Valley, right? I mean, this is the story of Pecos Bill. It is unbelievable. Stories that are, that are so unbelievable, we don't believe them. They're called fiction. I mean, they're stories we tell to our children. See, my dad would say to my brother when he'd tell this unbelievable story, Okay, Pecos, you can stop now. 
right? That was the phrase in our house. But see, for some of us today, the stories of the scriptures, the stories of Jesus, they seem to us to be the stories of Pecos Bill. Too unbelievable to believe. This is what we're exploring today. The problem of Jesus himself. I mean, Larry King, the nightly television host years ago, was asked if you could interview one person, only one person, who would it be? Any person from any time in history, and he says, oh, no question, Jesus. So then he was asked the follow-up question, what, why, what would you ask Jesus? He was quoted as saying, were you really born of a virgin? Because the answer to that question changes everything. I mean, see, the question he's asking is this, like, not only have we built time around the life of Jesus, but if the Jesus story is true, if that's an accurate story, then it really does change everything. In fact, what Larry King understood was he would have to reorient his entire life around that in a different way. If the story of Jesus was really true, then everything he believed about life and his purpose in life would need to be changed. So the answer to the question, who is Jesus, changes everything about our lives. The question, who is Jesus? I mean, it changes how we parent, how we work, what we do with our money. Everything changes if we believe Jesus is God. I mean, see, we each have to make this decision. Is Jesus who he says he is? Or is he Pecos Bill? This is the question where we're left with. I mean, we're continuing our, our series today, the, the problem of God, and exploring and wrestling with these conversations that keep people from wanting to believe in Jesus and his church. And I hope, <clears throat> I hope you're starting to pick up that we, we desperately believe the church should be the place and the people where difficult conversations are most welcome. It should never feel like this is a place where you're not welcome to ask a question and where no question should be unwelcome. I mean, if you're wrestling or not sure if you believe something, this should be the people who are most willing, most able, most conducive to having a conversation about disbelief. Doubt should be welcome among the people of God. In fact, we've been looking at the things that keep us from wanting to believe. And and, and so we looked at the idea of faith in science, how we're just not sure what to do with that. I mean, did God, does God even exist? We talked about sex and hell, and last week we talked about exclusivity. And so we believe Christianity does make an exclusive statement about its worldview, but, but also we think every other person in the world, they make an exclusive statement by what they choose to believe as well. And so today we're going to continue this story about this problem, the problem of Jesus. What do we do with Jesus himself? I mean, next week we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at the story of Esther and looking at how God can use each of us in the places that we already are to do something incredible that can even flip the world upside down where we live. Um, but today, we explore that really the central question of Christianity, who is Jesus? See, Christianity is, by definition, the following of Jesus. It is living, thinking, and striving to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in a way that changes our whole lives. Now, I even say this to those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Sometimes I encourage you to go read the words of Jesus himself because I'll hear them say things and I go, mm, I 
don't think you know who you're talking about. <laughs> Wrong guy. It's more, it's more like a political pundit than it does Jesus. I mean, like, go read his words. I mean, this is, if we're not careful, we will mix in views of who Jesus actually is. It's tough for us to recognize he's a first century Middle Eastern carpenter. And yet, this guy from this unknown place literally turned the world upside down. From a backwoods community where people said nothing good could come from. We literally count time by his birth. I mean, you could go around the world and there are more places and people named after some kind of religious thing connected to Jesus than you could ever imagine. But who do others say Jesus is? In fact, there, nearly every world religion or every kind of thought base has some thought to who Jesus is. I mean, Buddhists say Jesus was just an enlightened person like Buddha himself. Hinduism teaches that he was an incarnation of God, one of many, like Krishna. Islam teaches that he was a man and a prophet, but he was inferior to Muhammad. Jehovah's Witnesses say he was merely the archangel Gabriel, or archangel Michael, sorry. He was just a created being that became a man. Mormons teach that he was a man who became one of many gods, and he was the polygamous half-brother of Lucifer. New Age Philosopher Deepak Chopra says he, was, he is just a state of consciousness that we can all attain to. And Scientology, you know, the religion of John Travolta and Tom Cruise, um, says Jesus was an implant forced on Thetan about a million years ago. I don't know why anybody's a Scientologist, but that's another conversation for another day. Right? Everyone has a view on who Jesus is, but none of these views really have a basis on anything he actually said about himself or that his followers said about him. What they illustrate is that most people don't have a problem believing that Jesus existed. In fact, um, we believe that to be true. But what most will say is this. Jesus existed, he was a good teacher, and he did some amazing things in a short period of time. But this view limits who Jesus actually says he is. In fact, it, if you follow that line of thinking, he's not only a good teacher, but he'd be a lunatic. Right? I mean, this... This guy was either the son of God or he should have been institutionalized. There really isn't a place in the middle for the two when we think about Jesus. N.T. Wright says it this way. Jesus' contemporaries, both those who became his followers and those who were determined not to become his followers, certainly regarded him as possessed of remarkable powers. The church did not invent the charge that Jesus was in league with Beelzebub. But charges like that are not advanced unless they are needed as an explanation for some quite remarkable phenomena. I mean, all of these views lead us to one of two places. Either Jesus really is the Son of God, or he's not. I mean, Jesus is where Christianity parts ways with the rest of the world. It's where we say either he is God himself and should be worshipped as such, or this is a waste of our time. I mean, Jesus throughout the Gospels always claims to have been one with the Father. He and God are the same. He says it over and over again many different ways. He, even in the song we sang earlier, there's a story in the Old Testament where, where it says, Moses is asking God, well, who are you? And he says, well, say that I am. And Jesus references that same thing later and says, well, who, who are you? Well, say that I am. In other words, I'm the one who's always been. I'm just here among you. I mean, it wasn't revolutionary for Jesus to say, hey, I'm, I'm a son of God. Like, that's not even that crazy in any religion 
I mean, think about Greek mythology for just a moment. Hercules was the son of God. I mean, they had no trouble believing in gods as they existed. What Jesus is saying is very unique because he's saying, not only am I the son of God, but I am God himself. Not just a part of God, not just his offspring, but I'm him. Like I said, he should be institutionalized or he should be worshipped, one or the other. I mean, John writes these words in John chapter 14, verses 9 to 11. He says this, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How could you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. John spent time with Jesus, and he began to walk with Jesus, and he, he watched his life and listened to his words, and he began to say, if, if this is real, if he's who he says he is, then this, I'll change my whole life around this. I mean, over and over again, Jesus wants us to know that he is the longing that our hearts have always had. He is the thing that we have most been searching for. I mean, this for us is hard. I mean, it doesn't take much effort to look around and recognize that our hearts are pretty broken. I mean, even the people we love hurt us. Even when they try not to, we see that it tends to happen. But, but even in our own lives, when you think about life, it doesn't matter how you live. I mean, I don't care what your lifestyle is, but every single person in this room, every decision you make will lead to the same place. You will die. At the end of your life, you will die. I mean, you will pay taxes and you will die. And if you don't pay taxes, you'll go to jail. I mean, that's how this works. You are going to die. We, you and I both. There's just really no way around that. Unless something dramatic happens in the world, unless something dramatic changes everything, you and I will just die. But when Jesus comes and says this, listen, I've done something dramatic. I've done something beyond what you could have ever imagined. I have done something that will literally change the course of human history. I have shown you the character and the nature of God, and this is it. I love you. I love you. I mean, I can understand today why you're not sure. I totally get it. This story seems like a tall tale. It could have fit in that Pecos Bill movie. It would have worked just fine. That's why Robert Wright, the historian and atheist, writes these words. He said, we can be pretty sure the crucifixion actually happened, in part because it made so little theological sense. Why? Because throughout history, gods had been beings to whom you made sacrifices. Now here was a God that not only demanded no ritual sacrifices from you, but himself made sacrifices, indeed, the ultimate sacrifice for you. This is the beauty and the nature of God's love. It is selfless and sacrificial from the beginning. I mean, you see, it's not the crucifixion that we place our hope in, but it is the resurrection. When hope is not in death, our hope is in life. It, and, and the truth is, the resurrection may be the single hardest thing to believe in. This idea that, that someone died and three days later, later they came back to life. And not because they were resuscitated in a hospital, but because 
They conquered death and sin and evil and brokenness all itself. It's what Paul seems to understand, and he writes these words to the church in Corinth. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that. We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If the resurrection wasn't true, the first few hundred years of Christianity literally make no sense. People who claimed to be followers of Jesus, his apostles, 11 of the 12 were martyred. One was sent off to an island, died an old man. But, but literally, why would you give your life to someone and something? Why would you die in the Colosseum or be eaten by lions? Why would you do that if you didn't actually see him come back from the dead? It makes no sense. Like they're all a bunch of lunatics if that's true. And maybe they were. Or maybe they weren't. I mean, there are four common objections historically given to why people don't believe in the resurrection. The first one is like, well, just Jesus didn't die. I I don't know about you, but if you read much of history, the Romans were really good at killing people. I'm pretty sure he was dead. Or some will say his body was stolen. I mean, that one actually probably carries a little more weight, but... It's doubtful when the story was told by women, right? You know how little value women had in the ancient world, like none. And if the gospel writers wanted to tell the story differently, they would have said, oh, and, the, and two or three men showed up and Jesus was gone. Instead, they say in every one of the four gospels, a woman showed up and noticed Jesus wasn't there. I would have picked someone different to tell the story if his body was just stolen. I mean, people don't die for elaborate hoaxes. It's not worth it. I mean, some would say they went to the wrong tomb, right? I mean, like they did, the GPS wasn't working right. They went to the wrong place in town. But don't forget, Jerusalem wasn't massive. In fact, population of Jerusalem would have been about the population of Mesquite. And you go, well, that's pretty big. I mean, but you and I both know, even just Muskegon city limits, people who just live there, if someone, something this big happened in town and people wanted to say where it happened, everyone would know where that was. This wasn't a small event. Multiple historians wouldn't have recorded the, re- the crucifixion of Jesus if it was a small event. That would not have happened. Others will say, well, the disciples, they borrowed or they projected into Christianity this idea of the resurrection from other religious ideas. But that one it doesn't really work because this was really radically new and different. This really was a new thing God was doing among the people 
This really was a new thing God was doing in the world. It's why um, we really have to say this. It's the, the famous phrase, he was either a lunatic, a liar, or he is the Lord. And C.S. Lewis writes these words about this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. In other words, we can't claim Jesus was a great teacher. Because if that's the only thing we claim, then you haven't read his teachings. I'm sure he said some good stuff, but there's no way you could say he was a great teacher because he's got to be a lunatic at the same time. Or you could say he was a great teacher and he was the son of God. We really can't find a middle ground in that. Because either he was full of it, it's a bunch of garbage, this dude should be dismissed. Or we should think about reordering our entire life around him. And what Jesus comes to say over and over and over again is God desperately loves you because I love you. Because I desperately love you. In fact, there's nothing on earth or under the earth or in heaven that will separate my love from you. In fact, I'll show you how far my love will go. It'll go to even death itself. And even death itself cannot hold the love that God has for you and for me. I mean, too often you and I try to earn God's love. We try to like do all the right things and check all the right boxes. I mean, I'm pretty good at that. I'm a firstborn. I like to do the right thing and check lists. And, and I, I mean, that works for me. And so I probably have spent much of my life trying to see if I could earn God's love because if I just keep doing enough of the right thing, right? Maybe you've thought this way before too. I mean, I, don't hear me wrongly. Do the right thing. Like it matters. It's good. It, it's a part of the reflection of God's love. But, but here's the thing. How we live doesn't change the message of God's love. He still loves you. Like, and that by itself radically messes with me because I, I know what it's like to love my children. And I love them and I would do anything for them. But, but I know when they say and do certain things, you're going, oh. I mean, I get the irritation. I mean, I always love them and I'll do anything for them. But, but can you imagine this kind of love that says, even in spite of what you've done, and I've been with enough families who are broken who, who don't love their children well. I mean, I've seen enough. But can you imagine this kind of love that says, not even death? Not even your abandonment of me, not even your rejection of me, not even your dismissal of me will separate my love from you. And Jesus makes very clear there's only really two things you have to do to be in right relationship with me. I mean, to, to have your life put right, to have purpose that is eternal, to, to live into this space that will change this life and the life to come. It's this, it's repent and believe the good news. In other words, turn from the way you have living and trust that this is the good news. What's the good news? That God comes to us. I mean, what's this good news? That you are priceless. In the eyes of God, your value has, has no monetary number on it because there is no number that exists. Your worth is an infinitely greater to God than we could ever comprehend. The good news, what's that? It's that your sin and your past and even your present they don't separate you from God's love. That he still loves you. The good news is this, that God loves you 
And he does show us the way to be in right relationship with him. And it's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, the reality is the hardest part of this probably is this, to repent, is to turn from all the things that we have allowed to shape our life, that we have trusted our life to. I mean, it may be for some of us money or sex or relationships or power or a profession or our appearance or any number of things I can add to that list. I mean, this is what Jesus says. Like, if you're going to say I'm real, if you're going to say I'm Lord, you've got to lay all that down. Every part of it. It all has to go. I mean, to repent is to turn away from our own broken hearts and towards the loving heart of Jesus. Our own broken hearts may be what we've known, but they aren't what we have to know. Jesus says, if you'll have faith, I'll show you who I really am. If you have faith, you'll come to know the Father as I know the Father. If you have faith, if you believe in life, death, and resurrection of me, you know that nothing separates my love from you. In other words, if you'll repent and you'll believe in me, you know this life-changing love that really does change everything. In other words, facing the problem of God is about far more than getting the right information for ourselves. It's about a transformation of ourselves. I mean, this transformation only happens through the work of God. And I can't say this enough. I cannot say over and over again enough that for some of us, the hardest thing about believing in Jesus is letting go of our own control, our own power, our own pride. Because pride is the thing that probably keeps most of us from God because you can't see that I don't have it all together. You can't see that I don't know the right answer. You can't see that I'm not good enough. You can't see that because I've got to show you to project upon this image of who I am. And God says, I actually know who you are. I know exactly who you are. And I still love you. I mean, we really have kind of two choices. We can, we can choose to believe that all these problems of God we've looked at, each one of them is just insurmountable, and so that we're just going to reject all that, that God may be. We'll dismiss his church, and we'll dismiss Jesus, and we'll move on from it, because it's just too much to overcome. Or, in the middle of each of these problems of God, we see a glimmer of hope. We see a glimmer of what could be. We see a glimmer that Jesus really is the answer that I've been searching for even when I didn't know I was looking. We begin to see and to think that maybe, maybe if we choose to repent and believe the good news that God did come as the suffering one to lay his life down so that you and I could find life to its fullest both here and now and forevermore, that we'd see how far love would go. That the creator will go all the way to its creation in ways that we never could comprehend. In fact, the cross is the epitome of love to its fullest. The empty tomb is the epitome of hope eternally. Like, I don't, I've always wished, like, that I had great words. Um, I feel like my brain works well, but my words don't always come out the way I think them. Or they sound better in my head, I'm not sure which one it is. But I wish I knew how to articulate in some way um, that, that in the midst of all the competing worldviews and the marketplace of ideas, 
in the midst of all that exists, that I wish I, wish I knew how to, to say it to you in some way, in ways that were just, just you, you could just take this leap of faith, and it wouldn't even be a leap of faith. I wish I could convince each of you to give your life to Jesus because it, it would change everything. I wish I knew how to do that. I don't, by the way. I don't. I, I could try to force manipulate you. I can. I mean, we could just sing one more verse of "Just as I Am." And some of you've grown up in the church. Get that joke? Like, like, I mean, I I could try all kinds of things to manipulate you, to coerce you, to challenge you, to say, "Hey, will you just follow Jesus with your life?" He just wants your heart. I, I don't have any of that for you today, because I I don't believe that. Actually, I believe He wants everything. He doesn't just want a part of your life. He wants every aspect of your life. The stuff that is hidden, the stuff that is unhidden, the stuff that is private, the stuff that is public. And he says to you and I, listen, if, if you're going to follow me, then everything is public now. You don't get to hide anything anymore. He says, listen, I, I'm tired of people who give like this lukewarm, I kind of believe in Jesus. Like I, one of the things I'm most appreciative about the church today in the 21st century is that group of people who are kind of okay about this. They're just kind of not coming. I'm glad for that. At least we know pe- where people stand. But my challenge is this. I hope you recognize you're always welcome if you're unsure. Don't make this commitment if you're unsure because the commitment, this is what God is asking. This commitment is for life. This commitment is to give everything you have. This commitment is to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I believe you really are the son of God. I believe you really are worth giving my life to. I really will worship you with everything that I have. And I know I'm a wreck. And I repent of my own brokenness and my own sin, my own heart that is unloving, but I desperately desire for you to give me a new heart, for you to change me, for me to sense your Spirit's love in my life in a way I've never, owned, never known before. I wish I could give you words that would make you say, yep, I'm all in. But I don't have them. In fact, I could just point you to the Bible, and, but that doesn't work for some people. I get that. What I can say to you with, with all the belief I know how to share is God loves you. God loves you. Um, Karl Barth was, the, was maybe the greatest theologian of the 20th century, and he was interviewed by this group of pastors and scholars and colleagues, and, and they're asking him all these great questions, and they asked him, Carl, what, what's the one thing? If there's one thing you could tell us, if there's just one thing you could tell us, what would it be? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's all you got? Yeah, that's all I got. But if that's true, and I believe it is, it literally changes everything. You were created in the divine image of God, and He has a purpose for your life beyond your imagination. And he loves you to the point of even death and death on a cross, death of crucifixion. And he wants to redeem the brokenness within you and restore and make you new. I believe that with all that I am, in the midst of my doubt, in the midst of the questions, the problems of God that I don't know all the great answers to, I believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and that literally changes everything. And because I believe that it's true, I want to reorient my entire life around that. In just a moment, the praise team is going to come and they're going to sing the song Because He Lives. And, 
And while, while they sing that, I'm going to pray. And in the middle of that, if you have never decided to follow Jesus, I'm going to give you two options today. I, one, I, I would pick over the other. And so I, I would know, like, this is not like with every head bowed and eyes closed, because I know most of you look anyway. But, but, but what I say is this. This morning, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, I want to challenge you, if you believe it's true, to repent and believe the good news. In fact, I would ask you to take a step, like a, a literal step, and move forward in these places. They're just wood, wooden pieces of furniture. I mean, they're, they're literally made of wood. I mean, our kids sit on them. They're, they're nothing special, but we believe there's something that divinely happens that we encounter God in a way that is life-changing in an altar. And so we invite you to come and kneel and pray and repent and believe the good news. That Jesus loves you. And if, if that's too much for you, because you're just... You're scared of what someone might think. I would encourage you to let go of that. But, but if that's still true, then there are cards that I would encourage you to, to fill out and drop an offering plate on your way out of the building because you cannot leave here and choose to follow Jesus without someone else knowing or send me an email. But don't let it be silent. So this morning, I invite you to, to everyone to stand with me as they come and as we pray. And if you have never decided to give your life to Jesus, I hope today will be the day. Repent and believe the good news that God changes everything through the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. For the way in which you come to us and you invite us to know you in ways that are life-changing. So Father, even this morning, if maybe one of us, if we have never decided to follow Jesus, or maybe today we need to say, I've held back. I haven't given you everything and I want to lay it all down at your feet today because I believe you really are the Son of God. I believe that beyond all the wild stories that I've heard before. This may be maybe almost too hard to believe, but I believe it to be true. Somehow, God, you came as one of us in the person of Jesus to show us what love looks like, what true love looks like, that it is selfless and sacrificial and life-giving and hope-filled. So this morning, because you live, I, I want to give my life to you. I want to lay everything down and say that I I'm all in. And maybe today you've kind of said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but you've never said I, everything, all that I am, my home, my wallet, my job, my hopes, my dreams. Father, they're all yours because I know that you love me because I know that the resurrection of Jesus is true and it changes everything. So this morning, if, if that's you in some way, you want to say to Jesus, I'm yours. Forgive me. Redeem me. Restore me. Make me new. Then I invite you to come and kneel and pray. What you need to say today, uh, I want to be more all in than I am. I need to learn to step out in my faith and to reflect the love of Jesus. Then I invite you to come today as well. May each of us reorient our lives around the love of God. We pray this all in Jesus' name.